I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, can I help you find something? Librarians specialize in helping you find what you were looking for and sometimes what you didn't know you were looking for. Thank you for joining me as I talk to my guests about all things library, including the books inside them. I'm Julie Chavez, and this is Ask a Librarian. Christine McDonald is the author of 10 books for children, picture books, chapter books, middle grade, and young adult novels. In addition to writing, she worked as a children's librarian at the New York Public Library, where she was trained by Augusta Baker. In the Brookline, Massachusetts public schools, she taught grades 6 through 12 and worked as a school librarian. Then at the Simmons College Center for the Study of Children's Literature, she designed community programs in children's books and taught graduate classes in children's literature. A reviewer and critic of children's books, she has written for the School Library Journal, the Horn Book Magazine, and the Christian Science Monitor. Her column, New Voices, New Visions appeared in the Horn Book Magazine. Before we get to my conversation with Christine, I have today's question for the librarian, and it's from me. When I first spoke to Christine, I wasn't familiar with the work of Augusta Baker, but librarians know where to look for answers, so that's what I did. Augusta Baker was put in charge of the children's room in the 135th Street branch of the New York Public Library in 1937, at the height of the Harlem Renaissance. When she began working there, she did what librarians often do today. She surveyed and analyzed her collection. But what she found was only shameful and poor depictions of characters of African descent. Baker began building a collection of titles with positive depictions of Black children and families, and she extended her work's reach by creating bibliographies for colleagues across the country. This collection of children's titles later became a part of the Schomburg Collection, which is at the center of New York Public Library's Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture. In her later years, Baker became a consultant to television's Sesame Street and began to teach and lecture widely on storytelling and children's literature. Representation matters, and librarians have known it for a long time. So, without more words, here's my conversation with Christine. Hi, Christine. Hi, Julie. So nice to officially meet you here today. You too. Wonderful. Thanks for chatting with me today. I was so happy that we were able to talk because I had loved When the Babies Come to Stay, and we're going to talk about your new book, and also just your experience in libraries. You have quite a a history among bookish areas, including booksellers, which I know now. So I'd love to just hear how you started out in libraries. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I want to roll all the way back to the beginning. Let's start with your birth. Okay. 
in the town where I grew up, the library wasn't very, we were not in the part of town that the library was at. The library okay. wasn't a very big one anyway. So we got our books from this little tiny kind of storefront area called the Catholic Information Center. Well, So my sister was old enough that we could take the bus to the next town. And they, it was near Rochelle, it was a kind of more of a city and they had a really good old Carnegie building. I mean, just gorgeous. So once we, once we hit that, we were fine, you know, but I was just talking to her about that, that she said, before we got there, she used to have kind of nightmares that she wouldn't have enough to read. <laughs> she would run out. <laughs> that is definitely my nightmare. I can identify with that actually. So a libraries have always been just really welcoming places to me. Right. Yeah. And so when I was, uh, before my senior year in college, I was working at a little Y day camp in the Bronx. I, I went to Barnard. And anyway, we were next door to a, a Carnegie, another Carnegie building in the Fordham area. And my, my partner, who kind of had the keys to the place, he would oversleep a lot. So I'd be out there with this little gang of kids, and I would take them to this library. And uh, Dudley's, Dudley Carlson, Dudley Brown Carlson, very famous librarian, was the children's librarian there. And I was like, you do this for a living? <laughs> so that's really where I got bitten by the bug. So I went right to library school out of college. And then, I guess I was telling you earlier, I think, you know, one of my professors was Augusta Baker, who was a, really an astoundingly brilliant woman and, and the head of New York Public's Children's Department. And yes. In the 70s, and New York had terrible budgetary problems for many years in the 70s. And so there was a hiring freeze all over the city. So then, but then Augusta Baker said to me, this is the phone number you call them, tell them when you're on the list. And as I said, I was working by Monday. You know? That's incredible. Yeah. How did you come to meet her during that process? Well, she was my professor at library school. Okay. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I must have missed that detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she and Frances Henney was my advisor. I mean, these were like luminaries. I didn't know the field from Adam, so I didn't really appreciate how huge they were and how much how much that had changed in libraries and school libraries was due to them. Yes. I, I was the, just reading had, about her. She had the first list of, of, of black children in children's books. She started in the 30s at the Schoenberg. You know, she started that collection. It's like, oh, you know. So she was very brilliant and she she had a very soft soft spot for what she called her young Turks. And so, <laughs> so you could be somewhat you know somewhat unfinished and she was fine with that you know they were they were just great it was a great place to work and they had wow. this interesting system where they would move you not not against your will but different jobs would be posted and they would encourage you to try out different neighborhoods and so primarily I worked in the South Bronx and Spanish Harlem but they did do a little stint of a couple of months at the main children's room which was really fun you know it was all reference and uh, mostly reference you hardly saw any kids but it was opposite the Museum of Modern Art so I could have lunch there every day <laughs> That's not a bad perk if you have to be among the reference books. It, uh, it was, again, again, New York was just teetering on the brink of uh, bankruptcy. And I got a call. I, I, they would put me on the front desk because they all had a lot of work to do. You know, the, the head the head of that department, the, right. or the curators of that collection. But I didn't, you know, I was so green that, you know, they just stuck me on the front desk. So I would be on the phone and take the reference calls and whoever walked in the door. Oh, boy, it was really amazing. But anyway, I got a call one day from John Chancellor's office. I don't know if that name is familiar, but he was a, a major kind of news guy in, in, at that time in the 70s, um, really kind of well-known. And so his office called, they wanted to know the gender of chicken little because he was using it in an editorial. 
<laughs> the sky is falling, the sky is falling. So I looked up about six different versions of Chicken Little and Henny Penny, and it's always a chicken. It's a female, you know, how can I say? <laughs> I mean, I know. Well, I'm glad you did the due diligence, <laughs> right? Right, right, right. Well, it's funny. I feel like there was a movie version of it recently, and Chicken Little was male, I think. I'm going to have to look into that. Yes. (laughs) This is a true librarian. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) That's true. A good librarian instinct. (laughs) Check into that. When I I went to, so after I retired, I went to Hamlin and did the, uh, the MF, the MFA there. And Emily Jenkins was teaching at that time. And she was doing this little three day thing on picture books and structural stuff. And at one point she was doing a thing on page turns and she used um, the Oxcart man. And I, yeah, I didn't interrupt her, but afterwards I said to her, you know, I'm fairly sure that the history of that book is that that Donald, Donald Hall's poem was published first, and then a children's editor had the idea of um, doing it as a picture book. It would be interesting to see if the line breaks in the poem are similar to the line breaks in the book. You know, yes. I mean, if, if her whole issue was line break, it would be interesting to see whether or not that is. So she didn't really seem very interested. But, but I was in the library the next day doing something, and I, I just, you know, it just—it's so easy to Google it. And so I just wrote down for her, you know, it's in New York, the New Yorker, you know, nineteen seventy-six. What was the issue? And I gave it to her the next time I saw her, and she said to me, "Wow, you really are a librarian, aren't you?" <laughs> You know, a more appropriate response is thank you. You know, that's all I know. But, but I think, like, <laughs> yeah, not I'm impressed by your follow through. Way hey, to nothing, go nothing, here. No, no, nothing. Not even just a simple, oh, great. Thanks a lot. <laughs> or even if she never intended to look it up. It was a, but no, it was kind of a sneer, you know. Really I think I really am. <laughs> and yep. many of my friends are too. <laughs> yep. We have our own nerd club. We're going to wear jackets. <laughs> I love it. That's it's the true mark. It's so true. Let me go check on that. You know, I just uh, I I think that 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 training at New York um, New York Public was probably the most influential thing in my entire career. Aside from teaching, I mean, teaching is a different avenue. But just in terms of, but even when I became a school librarian for the last decade of my career, the whole people would say to me, "How do you?" You know, I would say, "You just run it like a little public library. That's all." You know, they can right. play there. You know, they just it just was a different philosophy uh, as opposed to colleagues who really had a much more kind of pedantic. This is we're going to teach this and this. It's like eh, no one else is pushing books. I can just push the books. You know, <laughs> I think we would make great librarian teammates because. That is very much the way I feel about Plus, it. Plus, the other training I was going to say that I, at one point, my first, the first room I was really in charge of was in Mott Haven, which is the bottom of the South Bronx, kind of near Fort Apache. You know, it was a really tough area at that time. And I had the senior clerk. Those are different positions. But in the children's room, and her name was Carolyn Williams, and she was a big woman. And she was, she and her husband was a big, a really big man. And they were somewhat intimidating. And they were hugely well-known in the, in the community. And so I just followed her lead. She would say to me, hey, Chris, you know, we need diapers. I'd say, okay, get the chain, get some diapers. That's fine. You know, if we apply for this, we can have free lunch for the kids this summer. I was like, great, we'll do that. You know, whatever she suggested, I basically, yes. yes. And I, there was a, a, a kid there who was, he must have, you know, he, he was, had, some kind of a, of a impairment, you know, so I didn't really, Ronnie was his name and he would say to me, you know, I like the baby books and he would always stay in the children, in the picture book section. And I, you know, that was great. And at that time there was some kind of a crazy little radio thing that came out that you could wear it 
kind of, it was like a donut that you could put your hand through. And they were different characters. I don't remember if they were Mickey Mouse or they were some kind of cartoon characters. And Ronnie really wanted one of these, you know? Okay. I was kind of on the fence, you know, is that appropriate? And I remember Carolyn Williams saying to me, get the baby the radio. (laughs) (laughs) No, no gray area in this. Just get him the radio. (laughs) And I just always remembered both that, you know, diapers, the food. Oh, the other funny thing is she said to me, you know, I'm going to call some people, tell them a different librarian is here now. So she'd make these phone calls and kids would come in with boxes of books, which they had found in a yard. <laughs> she just wanted the whole tribe back in there again, you know. I mean, the doors were open, and she just—I I, just—I don't know. I feel like I learned again, you know. With this whole question is, what is your philosophy? You know, yes. you're I think it is important to have one, and I think that that open door, open door philosophy, you know, was sort of started early. And I, I had uh, when I was teaching at Rosie's place after I read first, I taught at night, and then when I retired, I taught during the day. And there was a young woman who took over the department the educational department and uh, they had a lot of training in ESL and stuff, but this character, she was great. She gave this little pep talk to everybody who was teaching. And she said, you know, I know it's frustrating when people don't come every day, you know, or they don't come regularly. Sure. I know it's frustrating, but Rosie's has an open door policy. Everyone is welcome whenever they can get here and you have to be prepared for anything that way, you know, there's just, you just have to go with that because the lives of people who are in poverty are very difficult and they are far more complicated than yours and mine and far less, you can predict much less. They have a yes. kid that has to go to the clinic. They've got to stay for an inspection at the apartment. They're, you know, they just have, there's a lot of, of hoops that they have to deal with and they're using public transportation. You know, just, it was the best overview, but just to tie it in with that same philosophy of the door is always open here you know everyone is welcome I don't care you know if someone comes once and comes eight weeks later they're welcome and it was yes you know a lot of those retired you know especially if they were retired teachers teaching you know they were really wanted to get the curriculum done you know these units it's like well not really yeah (laughs) actually (laughs) no really It's so true, though, right? We do. There's that line between the rigidity and this this production, and you want, of course, people to advance and learn and have all of these resources. But I agree with you, and I love, for me, thinking about libraries as being safe, happy Absolutely. places. Absolutely, yep. yeah, yeah. people are welcome. Yeah. And I think as we watch, especially urban libraries, but not just urban, I mean, there are little town libraries here that do the same, that are, you know, they're especially welcoming to people in need. Yes. You know, and just they are really the public, the public interface. And, you know, it's now that public, big public libraries now often have BP at Boston Public Library has a, a full staff position devoted to doing the work with the homeless, with the homeless community, you know, being a liaison there. Yeah. I, I just read about another one where the, that full position for a social worker, you know, because so it, it's not going to go away. You know, people are, this is the front line. Yes. And that's really refreshing to hear. I'm glad you brought that up. I got the chance to speak to Nancy Pearl uh-huh. a few weeks ago, and right. she was pointing out, because we were talking about the future of libraries. And one of her big concerns was librarians are not social workers. So 
building that piece in though, mm-hmm. where you have the mm-hmm. right supports, but still yes. n- recognizing exactly what you're saying that a library, I think is always going to have that, that element and, and really should, if we want it to be an open, safe place. Right. And we know so many Legion stories about, you know, writers who, who, you know, became writers because of the library in their town. Indeed. You know, you know, it's yes. Just, it's not uncommon. Well, speaking of writing, I was yes. looking, I was trolling around on your website and <laughs> I was seeing that you published your first book in 1981. You've been publishing books for 30 years. That is so fantastic. What a, what a long career of doing that. And 40 years. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Let's Let's be focused, everyone. Julie's not a mathematician. Okay. That's fine. Now it's recorded. I, I, no, 81, 91, 101, 111, <laughs> you really, You really handled that so kindly with me. <laughs> That's 40, sweetie. 40 okay. So 40 <laughs> years. Right? Yeah. No, it's incredible. And I love, I want to talk about sanctuary, but first I'd love to talk about when the babies came to stay. Because I know we had mentioned, I, when I spoke to you briefly on the phone that these poor babies, they came out in the pandemic and (laughs) I I feel very sad for them. March 28, uh, 2020. (laughs) Where did you come up with this story? I, you know, I think what I was looking for and what I initially had in mind was kind of a launch where each of the children would sort of have their own story. So it would be kind of early chapter books. There's a, uh, I think they're from Denmark. There's a series, I can't remember the title of this. The first one, the first one won the Bachelor Award. That's just how I found them. But it's it's the story of a child who uh, kind of is orphaned and goes around this area and kind of accumulates people. And then each book, each book is another person within that, that she's found. Each another child has, has joined them. So I think that that was my first idea, but I was sitting up here in Vermont, staring out at mountains this summer, writing about these, this island. But I, I've always, I mean, orphans kind of fascinate me. And as somebody pointed out that, she said, I didn't even recognize it, but it was somebody responding to the book and saying, you know, they wanted, you know, it was such an excellent book about adoption. I was like, not adoption? <laughs> 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 oh, yes, that is true. But oh, I just I I'd never thought of it that way at all, you know, but to read it that way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't think it's that central, you know, I just, to me, but her point was about, you know, how every family's, when it went towards the ending of the book, when they bring the questions back to the fabulous librarian, you know, and she gives her spiel about not all families look alike. Where we're going is more important than where we came from. And so I do think that that does speak to children who have families who, who have adoptive families and but it wasn't my intention at all you know? that's I that's such a fascinating piece <laughs> of being a writer and a, yeah. that yeah. this yeah. this relationship between the writer and reader and right. then you know you put it out with a certain intention but people read it and based on their life experience they read it a certain way so it's magical yeah and also a little strange when you think huh I didn't, I don't think I meant to write it that way. I never thought of it that way. It wasn't literally until this, someone brought it up. It's like, wow. I just, to me, I, I thought that, that the librarian is the gutsy kind of heroine of the story, of course. And, uh, I love the little red hen, of course. In fact, that was a line in the original, you know, when she says, I'll do it myself, you know, uh, it was the little redhead was her favorite story, and and that got cut because you know if someone recognizes it, then they can get that. Or but if not, you know it doesn't mean anything. So uh, 
That was okay. <laughs> I loved that line because it really spoke to me as, I think it, it, it's very central to the library nature, right? Where you're like, I'll just yeah, do it. Get it done. I'm going to take care of this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And initially, the first four people who find the babies, you know, who is it? The harbor master, the ferry boat man, the... The fisherman, the, right? The fisherman, right? That's just... Yeah, two... Come, and the ferry. So those... And then the mayor who, who, who kind of sticks his nose in. I thought of them as these kind of Oliver Hardy, you know... Lauren and Hardy, these this kind of these kind of buffoons. To yes, me. they're a set of buffoons. And when the first illustrations came back, you know, where I, it was so interesting to have someone kind of take them more seriously because to me they were they were really kind of stuck cartoon characters that were, couldn't trip over each other fast enough. You know, they were just <laughs> incapable of getting anything done. And uh, the librarians sort of the opposite. You know, but. Uh, I was glad that, you know, it, it, it turned out the way it did. I mean, she, I think the illustrations are great. So <laughs> I was, I loved the illustrations. I thought it matched so well. I laughed out loud at Murgatroyd being his name yeah. and him saying, name him after me. And I thought it was such a nice story of belonging. It's mm-hmm. a, where yeah. family is where you belong. And yeah. I, that family you choose, I loved it. So I, now are you working on individual stories for no, A, B, I, C, and D? No. I didn't. I, I okay. didn't. That was just. No, I, 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 I guess I did it in the work. I, I, I shared. It. Well, first I shared it with a friend who said, no, no, no. There's a, she does a lot of picture books. And she said, no, it's got a good arc. You know, yeah. it's definitely possible. And so I, I, it was the text that I used at my last workshops at Hamlin where I did my MFA and it got a really big response. And, and, and they were pointing out, you know, that it, they felt that it, that it was stronger as a picture book. And there were sections that we took out. Got it. Um, or that, you know, they didn't, they didn't keep, they wouldn't have kept, but just, I was just interested in that perspective. And then another friend, another librarian, of course, said, of hey, course. It's, it's a bedtime story, you know, and it was like, and so it just seemed to kind of congeal around being a picture book. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Picture books have such, I feel like they get touched more before they're actually brought to publication, especially with the interplay with the illustrator, of course. But also, I think there's just a little bit more, I don't know if the reader's more central in some ways, just because it's often read aloud. Yep. yep, yep. Yes. And also, so you have the the orders, there's the author... And then there's the editor, of course, and then there's the art director who plays a huge role. And then the art director and the and the artist. So the artist and the art director work together and the editor and the writer work together. And then everybody kind of gets crossed over. But there's a huge thing about, I don't know, huge or not, but it's more of a tradition of, of, of the artist and the author not being in touch. I mean, that's a more common 
more modern thing, you know, so that the like famous stories like, you know, E.B. White, his yes. relationship with Garth Williams. I mean, th- there are stories from that era, but the, but the more contemporary era, even from, you know, the 70s on, are that it's best not to. I mean, there are exceptions to it. There are exceptions. But, but you were, you're working through, you know, through the publishing company. I think it gives the publisher a lot more control. That makes sense. But that makes sense. And, and also, you know, they know, they know their business. I mean, so... Indeed. And they, I wasn't cut out in that, in both cases, this one and also Sanctuary. I was given, you know, whole sets of a couple at a time, people to look at, websites to look at. Okay. I and mean, I would say, these are the two I like best, or blah, 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 blah. And we would move on from there. That's, a, that's that fine. makes sense. Yeah. In Babies, though, it was quite a long original text because it hadn't been originally meant as a picture book. So even when I'd taken out sort of the school and the other kids and, you know, other stuff, it was still a fairly long text. And so in order for the, for the design purposes of it, certain parts of it were consolidated or cut. And one of the funny things was that they cut and I love this art director is really a wonderful woman. Uh, and I think she's so gifted, but they cut a lot of funny lines because they didn't understand that. And I had shared it enough, you know, with kids yes. uh, reading up here and stuff that I, I, I knew what lines got the, got the laugh, you know? Right. And, and so I demanded that they put them back, you know, <laughs> you know? and I, not other stuff, other stuff that could be you know, consolidated. I didn't really miss that much, but the, but the humor lines and Murgatroyd and, and name him after me was one that, the, the, the mayor, a lot of the humor was around the mayor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, and even I, I felt it was captured well in the illustration, right? Where he's sitting kind of rocking with one hand yeah. and reading yeah. his paper. So yeah. yeah, it is, but that interplay between yeah. The artist, the art director, you're right. I hadn't even thought about the art director being in there too. So it's it's a lot of hands. Uh-huh. So tell me how you started working at Rosie's Place. Well, that's a good question. I, I first went to serve food with a community group. That's way back. Okay. And uh, Kip would have, oh, first I heard of Kip because she got a big award from the church that I was attending at the time, a social, a social action award. And, yes. Uh, and then, so once I heard, heard of her, you know, I kind of knew more, but I didn't know that much about Rosie's until I went with another group to help serve a meal. And I had a really great time. <laughs> I, I was, my role was kind of the greeter and I kind of got someone settled and then, then brought over soup. But the, the philosophy was that if you've been on the street all day, you know, your stomach needs to adjust. And okay. so people get seated and then they're served a little cup of soup. And then about a half an hour after that, the dinners are served. And okay. it's, and the tables are very lovely. There's flowers, you know. It's just Kip demanded a lot of a lot of stuff about this. So I just had this great time, and then I don't know how how it resurfaced, but I I contacted them. Must have been something I got in the email or something. So I contacted them about possibly doing some creative writing after school, and they wrote back immediately. They got me in immediately and said, you know, <laughs> we, we need you for teaching. You know, we need to take over this class. And they so I hooked you. You got it. I mean, they, they knew exactly what they wanted. And at that point, the curriculum was really haphazard. It was just this kind of these binders of kind of random Xerox sheets from different programs. As it evolved very quickly after that, it now has a very set, you know, really very good curriculum and excellent materials. And so it, I, I'm not sure if the young woman who first set it up was really that knowledgeable about ESL, but the person who they who followed her, the, especially two people after, it, it became a much more more substantial program and and we actually had books that had 
you know, sequences and, and it's a couple of different options and everybody had their own workbook and stuff. You know, there was just, it got, it got, it, it got formalized in a way that wasn't restrictive, but was mm. very, very supportive in terms of material. But yes. when I first started, if I hadn't been a librarian, I don't know what I would have done. I just taught, I just taught the whole semester right out of the reading room from my school. You know, I would just go night. <laughs> You're exactly, I'm just going to borrow this. It was a level three class. So everybody had enough conversational English. So it was fairly easy. And then I didn't really know a lot about Rosie's rules. So people would bring their children and be like, that's not acceptable apparently. But it was like, okay, you know, I'll bring <laughs> the kids. So I would have, and I had to get the kids to stop filling in the parents' workbook, you know, doing the work for them. <laughs> it was a good opening semester. And then when I retired, I could teach during the day. And that was really fun. You did a fantastic job in this book of describing also the culture around mm-hmm. homelessness that was present when Kip started Rosie's right. Place. Uh, yeah. And I was shocked reading the line that homelessness was not a women's problem. Wasn't that incredible? And that she learned it. I mean, it was repeated again and again, you know, so that the guy she was working with in the, in the, in the sort of the street mission said to her, yeah, so check it out, you know? So she went yeah. to, I think it was, it was Philadelphia, Chicago, and then New York. And, and she, to meet with people who were responsible for these services. And again, she heard it again and again. There are, there are no homeless women. <laughs> but because I think people had in mind kind of the, the Bowery bum, you know, the white mm. bum. And uh, yes. I, I don't think that even made room yet for returning, returning soldiers, you know, uh, and the, certainly they hadn't figured out what the drug problem was going to do to, to affect yeah. all of these services. So she was kind of on the tip of it in terms of, of uh, but I think that she had a kind of a special radar for people's needs, uh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like she really created, it's a sanctuary. And I yeah, love that. that. Was her but that's what yeah. it was it used to be described as a, a sanctuary for poor and homeless women was kind of a subtitle of um, in their materials. And so when we were searching for a title, you know, when I brought that up, that's when they, la- they latched on sanctuary. F- titles are always hard. So. They are, especially for picture books. I feel like to nail it, but I, this one was perfect. Yeah, yeah I like it too. It's but I fantastic. Love the I think Victoria's work is spectacular, you know. It really fits the text that you've provided. I mean, the the story and the illustrations yeah. in this one really go together well. Why do you think so? I thought so too. Yeah, and it matched that the change in the the palette. So the book opens with these kind of take a look at the opening and take yes, the gray, and then the opening palette. The first couple of pages have a very muted tone to them yes right? during the depression and the granny's kitchen and then even when she first is you know is even when she first joins the mission it's not really until she gets the idea of a different kind of place that the colors start to pop and then they just get better and better it's practically tropical by the end you know it's just so great gosh yeah. i have such respect for illustrators and art directors and these people that create that, the story, even in that, those tiny details. Oh, I can't wait to go back and reread it. It's just so fantastic. And when does it come out? March 1st. March 1st. Okay. And I think we have, so it will be out when this episode comes out and everybody can go out and grab it. And I will be getting, I have this copy, but I'll be getting another copy for my library and definitely be sharing it with the kids because. What age do you see yourself sharing it with? Julie? I would probably read it maybe third to fifth. Yeah, that's what I would have said too. End of second to 
they say they say seven to ten, and I, that's okay. I think that's fine. Yeah, but, yeah. I could see older kids really getting well, a lot out of it, especially if there's going to be a topic. You know, yes. it's about the conversation. Oh, I love hearing your stories. They are. I just I really enjoy, and I also like doing math with you. For you oh, to yeah, break things. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's true. 40. So oh, well, when I have a new problem, I'll be calling you. What I'm working on. <laughs> oh, yes, please <laughs> well, do. Many things, many things. But <laughs> okay. as you all are, you know. Yes, everybody, of course. Have, I mean, kind of lots of pies. Lots of pies and lots of things coming up. But the one that came up kind of, it's always it's always the one you're not looking for that, that comes up and that ends up kind of having the best legs. But it's sure. that mouse who falls in love with the kitten. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm having such a good time with this. A mouse that falls in love with a kitten. I can't wait. Where are you in the process on it? Oh, oh, I would say maybe halfway through the process. Okay. It's, okay. it's bigger than I had expected. I thought it was going to be a really little book. And I think it's going to be a kind of a, my, my well, right now, the, the, vision, the vision I have is that it would be a, you know, kind of a younger chapter book. Mm, um, okay. Yeah. Those, they're... There is such need for those in that area. Not the I can read, just the next level. Correct. Other area I'm predicting is going to get is going to get uh, we're going to get a call for is going to be kind of young YA. I think it's completely overlooked right now. The kind of seventh, eighth, ninth, you know, kids that you're you just you just don't want to set them loose. And this, I mean, YA is so sexualized right now. I just I they moved the in my little tiny bookstore that I help in. That I work in, they put the YA right next to adult fiction now because that's where the readership is. They moved it from, yes. you know, next to the children's section. And, it, and it's, it's valid. It's completely valid. It's like, you know, you even, even early high school, it's, it's, there's a lot of heavy stuff, you know? I couldn't agree more. And I think that you're right about that, that sort of open area because middle grade fiction has gotten so strong, but yes, it really does hit right in that fourth to sixth. Yes. And then you're exactly right. Seventh, eighth, ninth. It's, it's yeah. like, there's not a lot there. There's not yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yep. And it used to be that that's what YA was. Yes. Like when I first did, I have two young adult novels from the eighties and early nineties. And I, you know, you thought of them as being, you know, like, like 12 to 15. Right. You know, the kids are eighth graders or ninth graders. You know, it's right in there. And yes. uh, and you can kind of be be close to or just kind of dipping your toe into some bigger topics. Yes. But, but you're not doing the full body, you know? It's just... <laughs> the full body. <laughs> you, just, you, know, you just don't have to. No. You know? and, and people who like Joan Bauer, there's a lot of people who wrote really brilliantly in that area. Yes. Uh, that you could count on and that kind of had to reposition themselves as mid-middle mid, mid, mid grade or younger. And I just think that's this... We'll, we'll hear about it, you know, because it's always... We're always a couple of years behind us. We're always ahead. <laughs> it's very true. Ask the librarian. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that is the name of this podcast. Ask a librarian. Hello, we're telling um, you. A a friend was asking, a publishing friend was asking about nonfiction. You know, there's all this big push for nonfiction that happened, what, 10 years ago or so. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what were the areas? I said, oh, that's simple. You know, you can name them right here. You know, there's animals, pets, sports, you know. (laughs) Yes. Right, Middle Ages. (laughs) Right now where it is. And the department had, someone said they were at a department meeting and someone said, you know, we should, we should hire an expert for this. And the department had said, we have one, we just don't pay her. (laughs) (laughs) You could name them right now yourself. You know, I mean, there's nothing, that's not a mystery for anyone who's been working with kids. No. 
what are the, what are the topics? They're almost universal. That, yes. You know? Yes. We have in our library the, I have a certain color twinkle lights above the animals so that I can say, go to the blue lights exactly. over there. Yeah. Exactly. They're over there. Cause yes, the heavy hitters are always the same. Yeah. When graphic novels started really becoming bigger, they were t- really small when I first, anyway, there was a yeah. question of what going to do with them, et cetera. And I had a lot of ESL kids because we were near the universities and uh, people would be there for the semester or so, but they were really useful. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there was people would say, well, I'm going to get a few, but I'm going to hide them in the fiction section. Like, what? <laughs> I'll trick those <laughs> kids. Put them out there. Yeah, exactly. I'll force them to find them and they'll have to read other books first. Anyway, I just, it's not a voice that you hear much in public libraries. Let's hide the graphic novels. <laughs> it's so true. I can't wait to sneak these somewhere. It's going to be great. They'll <laughs> never that's right. You want wimpy kid? You're going to have to work for it. Exactly. Five regular books and then one time. <laughs> Show me your punch card. <laughs> I love it. Well, when we start a library, maybe we can have a scavenger hunt situation with ours. I think we're going to have a great we'll time now. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for today. This was a joy. And I love hearing about all your stories and all your thoughts. And I think we should do this again. Oh, I'd love to. Anytime. Okay. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Ask a Librarian. As always, it's my joy to share and learn with you. You can follow me on Instagram at Julie Writes Words, or you can go to my website, juliewritewords.com. There you'll find the show notes, including all the books mentioned in the episode. See you in the stacks next week. And until then, friends, never go anywhere without a book. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.